Peace, hope, joy, and love. Today, on the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast, we reflect on how these main themes of the Advent season bring meaning to our everyday lives. And now, today's message. I like words. I've often been called a wordsmith, amongst other things. I especially, as you've figured out, I like Greek words. I like Greek words that we use in English. And this morning, I want to give you a Greek word that we use in English. And we will see how important it is a word in our faith. That word is epiphany. Epiphany, you got it? Epiphany means a kind of a sudden appearance. It's, it's that moment of intuitive knowing. You maybe look at a puzzle or whatever it might be. And suddenly it becomes clear. The light goes on. It's a moment of, wow, there it is. I've got it. And that clarity changes everything. This morning, the next 35 minutes or so, I hope you will have an epiphany. And that epiphany will give you some fresh aspect of hope in your life. And my prayer is we come to communion at the close of our services. We do this, we do this as we often say, until he comes. My prayer is the hope that is contained in the bread and the wine will just flood your life. That's really what I prayed for this morning. So this morning we're going to begin um, in the book of Titus. Little wee book. Comes after First and Second Timothy. Titus 2.11. It says, if I got it up, there it is. For the grace of God has appeared. In Greek that's the word epiphany. It epiphanied and offers salvation to all people. That is our hope. The grace of God made his first appearance in the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. The evidence, you know, for Jesus, who he was and what he did, what he said, is based on four books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in these four books, we need to know that we have the most reliable historical evidence for Jesus Christ. When people find out I'm a pastor, some of them say, I don't believe in the Bible. I've asked every one of them, have you ever read it? Guess what the answer is? No. I'm called Tom. You're free to call me Tom. But my proper name, obviously, is Thomas. The only time I was ever called Thomas by my mother was when I was in trouble. We won't go there. But I'm a little bit like doubting Thomas in the Gospel of John. Remember, he needed intellectual integrity. He needed to put his hands into the nail prints. I needed intellectual integrity to believe in Jesus Christ. And I'll be honest and tell you, if I could not fight that, I would become, I would have become, I believe, an existentialist. I don't believe there's any other alternative. But when I looked into the historical evidence in the Gospels for Jesus, I believe that you will find their solid, reliable basis for believing in Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, you must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or a madman or something else. He says, you can spit at him, kill him as a demon. You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come, says Lewis, with any patronizing nonsense about him just being a great human teacher. So Titus says that when Jesus came, he was an epiphany. He was the appearance of the grace of God. But that historical epiphany 2,000 years ago needs to be followed, you understand, with a personal epiphany. 
Each of us needs to come to our own epiphany, our own moment of time when we truly understand and accept who Jesus is. That's, each one of us needs that kind of a wow moment. Perhaps it was in this church for you. I don't know. Maybe it was a Billy Graham rally when they were singing Just As I Am. Maybe it was by your bedside one night. Maybe it was a summer youth camp. It doesn't matter where it takes place. But it has to happen to you personally. For me, I will tell you just very simply, that personal epiphany came when I was about 16 in a Baptist church in Glasgow in Scotland. When after a service one day, I went down and spoke to the pastor, and I went down with him to his little office, and I quietly bowed my head, and I invited Jesus Christ to come into my life. A few weeks later, I was baptized. By the way, I really think that's the right order. That we accept Jesus in a few weeks or a month or so later, we're baptized. That's the right order. And the verse that was prayed over me as the pastor put his hands on my forehead was this. Philippians 1.6. That God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know that I've held on to that truth for 60 years? Hey, 60 hey, Tom, years. Tom, Tom, hey, you know what? This, this is a great word. This is this, my this, sermon. Thomas. I'm... Oh. You've been speaking for a few weeks. I love this I'm the preaching pastor. You're the executive pastor. Yes, I know. But just, I just need a a minute or two. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like to share a little bit of my epiphany as well. Okay, that's good. Good thing there's a chair there. Wow. I know. So, so for me, it was, I was born to, uh, uh, into a family with a mom and dad who told me about Jesus from the very beginning. And I heard the stories uh, from an early age. But you know what? The the epiphany was this. As I heard about Jesus, he felt familiar. It felt like I had known him. And that's because I saw it in, I saw him in my mom and dad. And I saw him in the uh, Sunday school teachers I had here at Central. And, and it was true about all of that. If, if that's how Jesus was, loving and kind and nurturing. That's what I wanted as well. And then I came across a verse in John 3.30 that said, where, where John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And I thought that's what I wanted. I wanted Jesus like my parents and like my Sunday school teachers to live out through me to help other people as well. So that's my epiphany, Tom. I hope that wasn't... Too- sure, that's okay. Uh, listen, hey, wait. I have, I have one of those epiphanies too. Do you think Tom would mind? I don't know. He was pretty upset oh. the first time. Well, let's try him out. You're on your own. Let's try him out. I also have an epiphany story. I also was born into a family that taught me about Jesus from a very early age. And when I was seven, I have a very strong memory of praying with my dad at the bedside. But that's not the epiphany I want to talk about. Do I have time for two? Um, The second epiphany, really, it might have been a third or fourth. But when I was 18, I went off from Victoria. I traveled to Edmonton and went to Bible college. And... um, In the first two weeks of the Bible college, a man by the name of Dr. Gary Inrig, who is familiar to some of you, uh, taught the book of Genesis in a two-week intensive format. And that was the beginning of a year of Bible college for me. And for me, I think having grown up in a family of faith, it, it was kind of the family faith. But I think in that year, 
the faith really went deep into my heart because of that experience of beginning in Genesis, but then studying the whole council of scripture through that whole year. I felt like my faith really went deep. So that was, I think, a whole year in a sense of me uh, really having that sense of the appearing of Jesus. Thanks for your time, Tom. Okay, nobody else. Just so we understand that. Okay, nobody else. But more than anything, can I tell you this morning that I will light a candle of hope in your life? I guarantee it. And let me tell you one of the amazing things that happens to us when that epiphany comes clear, when the bow moment happens to you. First John 3 and 9 has got a remarkable verse, I think. It says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. We'll come back to that in a minute. Because God's seat remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, John says, because they're born of God. That picture really takes us back to the birth of Jesus. Actually, to his conception. The remarkable thing that God did in the life of Mary was that he planted the life of Jesus into her womb through the power of the Holy Spirit. She was told that the Holy Spirit would come upon her. She bore the one who was the Son of God. God impregnated Mary with the seed that was to be the Son of God. And that truth, that essential truth, is repeated in each of our lives. When we become Christians, John says that God is impregnating us with his seed. The Greek word for that is the word sperma. John is using a word from sexual intercourse to talk about what it means and what happens when we become a Christian. God impregnates our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit being implanted in us. We are being given the seed of this new life so that we will become and live as new people. That's why around this truth, John says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. What it means is we know we all sin, we blow it. But what John is meaning is that a lifestyle of deliberate, premeditated, intentional, planned, conscious sinning is no longer how we will live. The reason is the seed of God has been implanted in us and changing us. And that's why Titus declares to us, for the grace of God has appeared. It has epiphanied and offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. If you're a Christian this morning, and you're struggling with some addictions, I understand the help that you may get from counseling and therapy. Please, this morning, I'm not trying to diminish that one bit. I am very aware that my gifts and my training are not in counseling. But can I say to us this morning, we have to understand the power and the authority that we have within us to start by saying no to certain things that might be destructive to our lives. First John, back to three and eight. John says, great verse. The son of God has appeared, epiphany, to unloose us, to untie us, to set us free from the works of the devil. Satan's work and desire is to tie us up. Jesus comes to set us free. Jesus came to set us free from the works of the devil. He came to release us from addictive behaviors and sinful patterns of life. And there is power in each one of us from God to say no to sin and to change our lives. Counseling may be helpful, will be helpful. 
Counseling is not a substitute for obedience to God's word. Jesus knew that power in his life. When he was tempted, if you remember, by Satan in the wilderness, he declares, it is written. This is what it means this is where you find authority. It is written. Man, it means all people, do not live by bread alone, but by every, what is the next word? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, you might expect that to be the word we often know for the word of God, which is the word logos. Logos means we believe in the logos of God, the word of God. But that's not the word that's used here in the Greek text. The word that's used here is another word. It's called rhema. Rhema is a, the idea of a specific word, a specific promise, a specific truth that we can use and apply to a specific kind of situation. You got it? For that to be true, you have to know what God's word is and says. That same word is used in Ephesians 6, the passage about, remember the passage about putting on the whole armor of God? It says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Once again, that's the word rhema. It means a specific word from God, a specific promise that we can use to challenge a specific issue in our lives. That means you have to know God's word, not just generally, but you have to know it in specific ways, specific truths, specific verses. I once told a young man who was trapped in sexual sin, I told him to stop. He said to me, no one before has ever told me to stop. And he stopped. He went for counseling, but he stopped. It can be an epiphany for us to realize what Jesus Christ has come to do in our lives. That's our hope. What authority is given us? It is the power to stop, the power to change, the power to take hold of our freedom in Christ. That's not just willpower. It is the power of the cross at work in us. Jesus came to free us from the works of the devil. His work is to tie us up in knots. Jesus untangles us and sets us free. Charles Wesley is a great hymn writer. We sing sometimes some of his old hymns. Here's one I like, a couple of lines. He breaks the power of canceled sin. You know the next line? He sets the prisoner free. Isn't that great? He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. That is an epiphany to give us hope. Is there some truth in that this morning that you need to take hold of? Is there something in your lives that you need to look eyeball to eyeball and say no? There's another epiphany that Titus says we're waiting for. Titus says, well, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing, the epiphany of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's another wow moment. It's an event still to come. You see, biblical history is not cyclical. It does not follow the path of reincarnation. It does not go around in circles. Biblical history is linear. It means it's going somewhere. It's heading towards a climax, towards a culmination of things. And our work is to wait in expectant hope. So the first advent is the birth of Jesus in history. Right now, we're living and waiting for the second advent. But until we wait... We're waiting for a second advent, and our waiting is to be filled with anticipation and expectation. It's to be filled with pur purpose and intention. 
There's an appearance that brings intervention that will change the course of history that we are on. Because of the first advent, we're made new people. The old's passed away. We become new as we live in the anticipation of the second advent. We continue to draw to live lives that are different and distinct from old culture. And it's in this light of the coming advent that our waiting is to be marked with a different lifestyle. First John, dear friends, now we are the children of God and what we will be has not been yet made known. Guess what? The word's epiphany. But we know that when he appears, epiphany, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And then John says to us, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Our lives should be different. Our lives must be different. First of all, because Christ lives in us, changing and transforming us from the inside. And secondly, because we look ahead to who is coming. And more than just what we will be like, it is who we will be like. John says, and we shall be like him. We shall be like Jesus. Isn't that exciting? Let me just, I'd love once before I die to preach in a black church. They know how to respond to that. They would know how to respond to that. They really would. Now we'll, thank you. We'll be like Jesus. We're to be shaped by the coming future. By the promise and by the hope of this second epiphany. In these Difficult times. Phil gathered some of them up thoughtfully in prayer this morning. We're well aware there's been a struggle for a lot of people. There's economic struggles. There's pandemic struggles. There's homelessness. There's the war in Ukraine. All kinds of programs on the mental strain we face today. I'm not diminishing any of that. But I simply ask you, where do we turn for hope? What do we turn to for hope. Who do we turn to for, for hope? We really only have one answer. We believe ultimately that our hope is in the Lord. And we have this hope, Hebrews says, an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So this second epiphany of Jesus will be nothing short of an intervention changing the course of history. This system we're in today will be shattered. It will be replaced by a long-awaited kingdom of righteousness. So for the Christian, epiphany contains both hope and challenge. We're to look to the ways and the state of our world with a decisive no. We're to commit ourselves to doing good while we relate and long for the return of Jesus to intervene, to restore this tangled world to its intended beauty. So we live between two advents. Can you see this morning in a moment just how each of them impact our lives? One of them has been sort of pushing us from behind as it were. That's the cross. The other one is pulling us forward. That's the return of Jesus. This first epiphany of Jesus revealed the grace and truth of God. And there's a final apocalypse still to come. 
in which there will be a revelation of the true reality of things. Jesus came to change our lives and he is the motivation to keep us on track. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.